This is Studio Potter, the podcast. Testing, one, two, three. Testing, testing, one, two, three. There, there are a few other questions that I really wanted to get down. Um, your relationship uh, to your own work and, and to your teaching, have you found a conflict there? Have you always... Um, struck a good balance or, or have you at times regretted that you had to take off time to teach? And this is the voice of Jerry Williams, the founding editor of Studio Potter. In this archival version of our podcast, we bring back the voices of potters from our early print publication. In this episode, Jerry interviews Frances Senska in her Bozeman, Montana home. His feature of Francis was published in our Copper Reds and Bernard Leach, Volume 8, Number 1 edition, which was published in June 1979. Jerry summarized his one-hour and 30-minute interview with Francis into about 200 words that are published on page 41. At points in this interview, you will hear the voice of Jessie Wilbur. She was a professor who taught painting, printmaking, and drawing from 1941 to 1972, and was director of the MSU Bozeman Art Department in the 1950s. Jesse met Francis at MSU in 1946, and they built a home together in 1953. Recorded on a cassette tape, please enjoy this archival interview between Jerry and Francis. Enjoy. Get some background uh, information on you. You mentioned Africa before. Mm -hmm. When does that come in? I was born in Batanga, Cameroon, West Africa, and raised there with some trips to the United States and Europe until I was 15, at which point I came to the United States high school. Uh-huh. What was your uh, parents doing? Well, my father is a doctor and my mother a teacher. Oh, they were missionaries. And you returned to this country when you were 15 mm-hmm. to go to school? To stay, yes. To stay. <laughs> well, what, um, did your parents uh, return with you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the only reason. I wanted. I tried to get them to leave me there. Oh, I see. But uh, I didn't see it that way. Yes. <laughs> oh. And you settled where? In Iowa. Oh. You, your parents continue to, in their line of work in Iowa? No. Uh, yes, my father yes. is a doctor. Uh-huh. But you would prefer to continue to live in, in Africa? Well, I liked it there very much. But, you know, some people's health doesn't hold up in that climate. Jesse and I took a trip back there. Well, it's 12 years ago now, isn't it, Jesse? <laughs> Nine or ten times a day. Actually, I started making those Yavao bow pots. It was very silly because we got back from Africa and some friend said, Oh, I can hardly wait to see your African influence, you know. And, uh, so I, but I thought about that. Did I get lots of ideas? Actually, I didn't see all that much change <laughs> since when I was a kid. And... Uh, so I thought, well, I'll try to do something which really looks African. Uh-huh. So I started doing those. Uh-huh. Of course, they, it isn't right because they aren't low-fired, smoked mm-hmm. pots. Yeah. They're high-fired. Uh-huh. 
slip plays, whatever you like, you know, it doesn't matter. Did you do any uh, handwork in Africa? Uh, no, I, you know, as I was very young. I was, yeah. I was drawing that. I mean, then I was, you know, an artist. Yeah. I drew. <laughs> uh -huh. yeah. And of course, when I went through school in, in Iowa, Iowa was strictly a fine arts school at that time. They didn't have pottery or no, anything like no. that. It was strictly drawing and painting. Yes. So I come to pottery from a long, you know, a long line of drawing and painting mm -hmm. and and design. Yeah. What was the school in Iowa? The University of Iowa? University of Iowa. Well, you know, when you're in school, you think the greatest thing would be to go back and teach at your own school. And I thought that for a long time, and then I got over it. <laughs> but one of my students is now teaching at Iowa. Oh, really? Uh, B.A. McBride, Bunny McBride. Yes. yes. Well, then after the University of Iowa, you know, I, I got a B.A. and an M.A. there. This was before MFAs were invented. And it happens that my M.A. was in home economics because I wanted to do design with the unit. Well, it was a fine arts department. They didn't have anything like that. Yes. So in order to do things like weaving and textile design and so on, I had to go into the home ec department. And after a while, they said, oh, well, we'll give you a degree. So we did. <laughs> Real nice. Oh. And then I taught at Grinnell College in Iowa for three years. And then along came the war, so I was in the Navy for three years. And while I was in the Navy in San Francisco, my roommate and I decided we had to have something to do with our evenings. And we took a night school class at the California Labor School from Edith Heath. And we shopped around, we shopped all of the extension courses in, in town and we decided that was the most real thing. You really started with real clay uh -huh. and you really made the things yourself with your own hands yes. on a wheel and devised your own glazes and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. So we did that. So that was, and after I got out of the Navy, I went to Cranbrook and took you don't mind having a few no. things like that on your tooth. And uh, took a summer from Maya Grotel. Oh. And uh, I came here and taught. And another thing that really amused me yesterday when we were talking to these kids, we'd say, well, how many quarters have you had of ceramics? You know, and they'd say two quarters or three quarters or something. When I started teaching here, I had had two quarters of ceramics. <laughs> That's where we started. Uh, after Cranbrook, you came directly here, did you? Yeah. Um, was that a big change for you? Had you known Montana? Was it no, to you? but this was the only part of the country I didn't know. Oh, I see. So that's why I took the job here. No. Because there was a job in Massachusetts open at the same time, but I'd been in Massachusetts. <laughs> so I thought no point going to Massachusetts when I came out here. What you from Massachusetts? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't blame you. <laughs> well, what sort of? It was just. I li I like to, you know. But then I got here and I stayed. You know, I I didn't anticipate that. I thought yeah. I like to see the country. Mm -hmm. I don't like to travel, but I like to, to be a part of different places. Mm -hmm. So I came here thinking, okay, I'll stay three years. You know, you stay three years. But then I stayed, 
What kind of a school was it at that time? Did they have a strong fine arts department? Or did they it was any? a very and a remarkably strong fine arts uh-huh. department, considering it wasn't really a very big school. Mm-hmm. And there were only uh, three teachers in the department at that time. The head, who was a very strong woman. A woman? Yes. Oh. And boy, she, no, she was the kind that oh. really makes something go. Yeah. Was that unusual at the time, that uh, a woman was the head of the Oh, no. You know something? You're so young, you don't know this, but all this business of women being downtrodden, is sort of it's happened in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. It has happened since World War II. You know, in the 30s, uh-huh. there wasn't any of that. Well, you did what you could do. Uh-huh. It didn't matter what sex you were. <laughs> you mean we're making a little bit too much of it now, perhaps? Well, it's just something that happened after the war when everybody, you know, came back and decided to settle down and have families. So the women got stuck back in the kitchen. But you've you've never experienced... uh, I've never been married. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, As a woman, it's never held you back. You've never felt that you've been denied. Not that I have ever been aware of. Uh You could be head of Alfred and you would never know it. <laughs> uh, you came uh, to to, uh, to teach what? Pottery? No, I came. What did I come to teach, Jesse? Well, I think they decided I wasn't any good in industrial design, so we that. Yeah, and I had uh, I had had a summer at. Uh, in Chicago at uh, the School of Design with Maholi Nagy. And so I was (laughs) a finished product designer. (laughs) It's a summer school Yeah. at the Chicago School with Maholi. And Kepish. Kepish was even better. I mean, Kepish's accent is easier to take than Maholi's. But, you know, great people. You know, Maholi is re- was really a great teacher mm-hmm. in the way that I think teachers are great. If you had an idea, he said, well, you know, try it. Sounds like great. Try it. Mm-hmm. No, nothing you yeah. could think of was something. That he'd yeah. No, Maholi Nagy was, was an industrial designer, in a way, with me. He was a designer. Designer. And, you know, if you're a designer, you're a designer. Yes. You can mm-hmm. do anything. You yeah. can apply it to anything. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, but that's that's what he was teaching. He was teaching this course, and it was sort of a mini Bauhaus kind of thing. Yeah. You started out, and everybody did the same thing, uh, working with materials mm-hmm. and tools yeah. and techniques. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was great. Uh, it was a real nice uh, summer. Shermayev was there, just checking out the course because he was going to start it at Pratt. He was going to start that same mm-hmm. kind of a course at Pratt. Actually, that kind of course swept the country after about then because Gropius was doing it at Harvard mm-hmm. and, and Mahoney in Chicago. Mm-hmm. All of their students went out and started this kind of a mini Bauhaus yes. course. Yes. Can you feel that influence now? I hate to get into influences after what you said, but 
Can can you feel the influence of, of the body? Yeah, because I still feel that form follows function. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know that style enters in, mm -hmm. but I have been kind of insulted. The kids sometimes say, oh, well, that old Maholi and so forth. That was just the style of the time. Well, of course, you're always in the style of your time, no matter mm -hmm. what. Mm -hmm. But it's the attitude of why you're doing it and how you're doing it, you know. That, uh, mm -hmm. And it was, a, it was a real thing that you really used the technology and the materials which were available for you to mm -hmm. uh, solve whatever problems your society was putting mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, it has come to be a style thing. And people don't go into why they're doing it. Mm -hmm. Just take the surface off of it. Yeah. So I'd say yes. That's a great. That's a big influence. I don't. You know, mm -hmm. my things don't look like theirs. Yeah, that's not sure. the thing. Mm -hmm. You you brought that with you when you came out here. Absolutely, mm -hmm. and I started the design course doing just mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. You know, just the way had it in Chicago. Mm -hmm. How did your students respond to that? It's a fairly sophisticated. Well, actually, uh, it did very well, mm -hmm. but they resented it because they thought they ought to be doing, you know, something which would sell right now. Mm -hmm. I think that they were they were quite practically minded then. I mean, more so than than today. Oh, uh, yes, maybe. But I think mm -hmm. maybe it's coming back now again oh, yes, because yes. Uh, people are starting to think about earning money. Yes, mm -hmm. rather than teaching. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, it is true, it doesn't look terribly practical. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was um, design, but you were working in clay. No, actually, it took me a little while, and this is, uh, Mrs. Hannon, the head of the department, who I said was so good, so strong, and I'm sorry to say if she'd lived, I probably wouldn't be here now, because, but... Uh, she, I don't know, I said, I'd, I'd like to do something with ceramics. Mm -hmm. And so she put 300 bucks into the budget, which was a lot, uh, to give me the chance to get some equipment and then do some. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, so we got a little kill. We only had a little basement space, a little basement storeroom. And so we got some, we built a little kill and uh, started out. And the first class we had, let's see, the first class built the kills. And then the second class, I think Pete and Moody were in about the second class I had, weren't they? Uh-huh. Yeah, they were the year before. So actually, I, I have to laugh because Pete and Rudy and all their crew, and of course they were a terrific crew because they were just back from the war, and so all of a sudden we had all the people that we should have had for six years mm. in. Yeah, and so it was a great class. We all really learned together. Mm -hmm. uh, let me go back. The first class you had, you built the hill. On the second class, you were just, uh, mm -hmm. you, did you have wheels at the time? Yeah. You... Oh, we had a couple little treadle wheels uh -huh. that weren't all that yeah. great. And we got a kit and built a big kick wheel that they're still uh -huh. using over there. And uh, 
Uh, you were digging uh, local material at the time. Yeah. Was yeah. that because of uh, economics? No, it was just I thought that I thought that was the way you. I mean, I mean clay is everywhere. Mm -hmm. You might as well use the clay that's yeah. right around. Mm -hmm. And they were building some new buildings and excavating. So you go down into an excavation. There's bound to be clay. So we use some of that. Mm -hmm. And then Pete saw somebody downtown that obviously yeah. been but stuck somewhere, and so he hung around until the guy came out and said, where were you stuck? Yeah. And so we went up and started digging it. We're still using that. Oh. Frank and Jim have been using clay oh. from up there. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's an earthenware clay, but it's perfectly, mm -hmm. it's very good clay. Oh. And, uh, oh, yeah. and then, you know, Pete, would, uh -huh. Pete was notable of not being in class. Hmm. But then he'd come back with a sack of clay or something, you know, say, well, I was prospecting. You know darn well he was fishing, but anyway. Uh, so we tried a lot of local clay. Mm -hmm. Did you realize at, at the time uh, that Pete Volkers and Rudy Audio that uh, they had a special talent? Oh, yes. I mean, there's no way you can miss it. Uh-huh, yes. Actually, when I started teaching ceramics and Pete sort of got into it, everybody else in the department hated me because he was so good in everything. You know, Jessie, the nicest prints that were done in her class were done by Pete Volkers. Uh, of course, when he came to school, he thought advertising art was it because that's all the kids around here have ever seen, it's advertising art. So then when he quit being an advertising art major, Cy hated me. You know, it's just because he, well, everybody wanted him because he was so good in everything. How, how long uh, have you been teaching? Since 46. Since 46. Um, well, actually, I quit in 73, I think it was. But, uh, um, how many students like uh, Peter Volkers did you capture? <laughs> You know, this is hard to list, but actually in that article that I gave you, he, yeah. he lists quite a few of them. There's Pete and Rudy and Leela, of course, mm -hmm. who is my all-time favorite. From Leela. Yeah, that's great. Um, Jean Bunker, Very Ralph nice. Volker, Bill Sage, yeah. Uh, Margaret Gregg, Bunny McBride. You know, just yeah, they, they just go on and on. And you know, one of them graduates, and you think, oh, we can never get along without this. But the next year, there's somebody else that's yeah. real good. You always have a um, you, you must think that, that this is a little unusual that so many really fine artists have come out of this. That uh, it's not accidental that they're coming here. That's, that a great deal is your teaching. Well, you know, I don't think that's true because, uh, you know, every once in a while people say, oh, I wish I'd gone to Bozeman or, oh, I'd like to go to Bozeman or something. But that isn't because they see somebody that's come out here that's really good. That isn't it. It isn't that we're such great teachers. It's that we let them do their thing and go along with them on it and... Uh, you know, try, try anything. But you must have a special teaching way of philosophy. 
No, I'm here to put out the information and hope they get it and sometimes beat them over the head. Uh But uh, I don't know. I uh, that's that's very difficult to uh, to say. I really don't think I have any philosophy on that. It's just that you you know you have something and you you're mm-hmm. very fond of it. You love it and you yeah. want other people to get the same uh-huh. thing. Yeah. I mean, we happen to be not wildly in favor of teaching method and educational philosophy mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. We think if you've got something yeah. you want to do and you know how to do it well, you can get that across. To mm-hmm. And it goes on and on, like uh, at Inseca. Some of the the kids from film and TV made a film of me last year. Yes, I saw that. And, uh, oh, you saw it. Well, afterwards, some man came up to me. He was very excited, and he said, you know, I never realized it, but you hold your hands just the same way I do, and I learned from Pete. Well, you know, I learned from Margaret Wildenhine, and (laughs) it just keeps going. Yes, fine. I I, I don't see uh, here... Um, any part of it you studied with, because um, you you seem to have picked up pottery on your own. That's right, and that's what uh, was so funny. Oh, I started to say this. We were saying to these kids, we were critting. How many quarters have you had? Mm. Well, I'd only had two quarters, yeah. but I read everything I get my hands on. Uh-huh. But I had Edith Heath, who was good, mm-hmm. and Maya Grotel, who was good. Mm-hmm. Except she is so reticent and shy, was you had to dig to get anything out of her. And then we used to have quarters off here. So the next quarter off I got, I went to uh, California to the Art Institute, and I had Hal Rieger and Whitney Hitchley. And Hal, I guess he was from Alfred. I don't know. But anyway, well, it's good. And then the next time I got a quarter off, I went to Pond Farm, Marguerite Wildenheim. And she was different. Well, she's the European thing. You do it just exactly like she says, and that's it. You start out, you make a little saucer, and then you make a little saucer, and then you make a little cylinder, and you make them. Keep on making that little cylinder. <laughs> yeah. No, just exactly so. So you learn a lot about throwing technique. But, but obviously that's not your technique for you. Well, it is true I don't do it exactly the way. And at the, I knew I wasn't going to do it exactly the way, but if you paid your money, you do it that way because you're getting what you can out of it. And uh, I was very resistant, I suppose, at the time, but I still think she's a great teacher because she's right in there pitching every minute and you know giving you everything she's got to give all the time. Well, we had one guy who came here, and he said the school he went to, they said, the teacher came in once a week and said, well, I'm not going to show you people anything. I don't want to develop any competition. And that isn't our idea at all. (laughs) We want to give as much as we can so that they can go on to something else, do their own thing. And sometimes... They don't start doing their own thing for a couple of years or so after they get out. You can still see, you know, your own influence yes. in them. I was 
one of the kids went was up at uh, Helena at the Archie Bray uh, picking out a show that they're going to have at Billings. And she said, both my brother and I, we picked this up and we said, Francis, it was Pete. We said, we could see, you know, your way of doing it, the way you teach in this old teapot or something of Pete's that was in the show that, well, no, that didn't last long. <laughs> he went his way pretty soon. Mm -hmm. And I was highly amused. I was with Pete at some conf oh, a conference in Banff, and we were looking at this show. Some, oh, well, not awfully good. It wasn't pop, but it was it was really quite pornographic, and it was just not the sort of thing that either Pete or I would ever do. It. Pete said, "Why do I do this sort of stuff?" Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> a lot of people have said that about Pete too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's hitting him now. No, he didn't teach that. Why are they doing that? <laughs> you know, you don't know where they're going to take what you teach them, but you teach them what you can, and sure. they go on from there. Sure. <laughs> You're primarily a functional problem. Yeah, definitely, because that's fun. You know, I like to eat, yeah. like food, make things for serving food. And that's, that's partly the African thing, too. Because, well, any kind of art, any primitive quote-unquote art, is really functional. It has a function, like it's to serve food or it's to appease the gods or whatever it's to do. It's got a function. And that's the important thing. But you make it as fine, you know, you make it as nice as you can. Mm -hmm. you make it as attractive sure. as you can. Some of the images that you use, uh, where do they come from when you're decorating? Around the yard. <laughs> but they're all natural and organic. I think so. Now, sometimes I do something which is like completely abstract, like some lines or something, like on that picture, except that then they sort of do end up having a kind of a growing effect to them, don't they? Yeah. But even, even more you would resist uh, having someone say that the, that the images that you use are, are African influence, uh, they're, they're sort of natural. No, they really are. Uh, you see that that uh, candlestick, for instance. The upper part of that is is very African in effect yes. because they use all that yes. background. If you noticed on those little abia, mm -hmm. it was really background treatment to every thing in that. And I tend to do that. That's yeah. what they saying. Can't. Nature kind of stand a vacuum, and yes. I'm that kind of a decorator, yes. too. Yes, what do the anthropologists call it? Horror vacuum. Right. You've got to fill that space. Yeah. Yeah. But I wonder if that isn't, isn't natural to, to human beings. Well, it, it certainly is more common to the older, like Neolithic. And, yeah. uh, I was I picked out a slideshow to show the kids the other day when, you know, it came to a sort of a lull. And this is a slideshow that they made up over there for a course, uh, a lecture I gave. And I've used it in various other places. And uh, I hadn't really realized how much it shows the influences that I follow. But it's all Aegean, 
mm -hmm. and African and you know that yeah. sort of thing. And showing it to the kids, I could realize even more how strongly my things are like that. Yeah, yeah. But I wonder if these images aren't uh, so basic. But, uh, because you're so close to the land and, and, and to, to animals and, and birds and power uh, happens and, and so the African cult you are um, you're using them in, in, a, in a very direct and honest way, but without thinking that they might be an African. Well, the thing is, the reason I said Neolithic is because they aren't natural. They aren't. I don't use them naturalistically. Yes. Yes. They aren't actually recognizably of a no. certain flower. Mm -hmm. I don't. They're all uh, formalized, abstracted yes. in the way that Africans and other oh. cultures well. Look, as I showed these kids this, and I said, okay, I happen to know this is Chinese, but you could see that it's very much like this one from Crete, mm -hmm. yeah. because there is that tendency of a certain level of culture mm -hmm. for the work, the image to be similar yeah. all over the world. Yeah, yeah I, that, that's what I was getting at. I think Jung has spelled that out in, in, in symbols. But the symbols are so basic that... Uh, cultures that are totally unrelated will be using the same one. And, and though we're living in the 20th century, uh, we still are, are thinking in symbols, or in, in using symbols that, that mm -hmm. Africans or Neolithic people have been using. Would you subscribe to that? <laughs> and it may be, some people say this is very artificial for us. Yeah. Well, I can remember when Leach came through and said, you people have no tradition. Oh, we have every yeah. tradition in the yes, world. Exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. So if I want to be Neolithic, I can. Yes, yes. I, I agree. That, yes. Oh, I was going to say, like porcelain. Yes. Now, I do not personally care to do anything with porcelain. Mm -hmm. I don't really like white clay. Mm -hmm. But there are plenty of people doing it. Yeah. I don't have to. Right. right. Uh, you, you think that, that it's very healthy, um, very energetic um, atmosphere in this country at the moment. Yeah. Are really blossoming. I like seeing a lot of different things yeah. going on. Yeah. And it, I think it's true, you always tend to like what you can imagine doing yourself. Mm. Uh, you know, those are things. And sometimes you have to rationalize, you know, sometimes you have to really look at these things and be very objective and so forth to appreciate things which are not the sort of thing you would do. But still, yeah, I, I'm happy to see them done. Like this little pot of Dave Shaders. This is not the sort of thing I would ever produce myself, you know, it's so precise yes. and beautiful. Mm -hmm. No, Dave did it, so yes. I don't have to do it. <laughs> Could you think of yourself working in any other medium? Oh, yeah. Before I started this, I, wood was my thing. That figure uh -huh. over there by the clock, for instance, yes. did a lot of wood carving. I, uh -huh. uh, I like wood. It's very interesting. I thought of myself as a sculptor, you know, aside mm -hmm. from being a designer. Mm -hmm. I like sculpture but the interesting thing is I did not like working with clay you know working up 
a clay form. Well, when I went to school, you worked up a clay form, and then you cast it yes. in bronze, if you could afford it, uh -huh. usually in plaster. I didn't really like that too well, but I did like carving away. Oh. So I did a lot of things with wood. Yes. Now, I never Jane Van Alstyne, who is, by the way, also a very good potter, she was doing clay sculpture in which she would let it get hard and carve away the uh -huh. clay. Yes. Actually, for a while, I had a tendency to do whatever I was teaching. Uh -huh. I taught jewelry, I made jewelry. Uh -huh. I taught lithography, I did lithographs. Uh -huh. <laughs> At this point in the interview, Jerry and Francis casually wander away from the tape recorder. They begin to browse Francis's work throughout her home. The audio becomes difficult to decipher. As they return closer to the recorder, they speak on Frances's wood carving, the art she collects, and her childhood home in Africa. And, and your parents were collectors of crafts. Well, not that exactly, but you know, there it was. That's what mm. was there, and they brought things back to show people what it was like. And so, so we have you know quite a little collection here of yes. things, which, and then Jesse's grandfather was a lumberman in Ghana. And she has a few things in there. And then we took a trip back across Africa about 12 years ago and oh. got some more things. And uh, yeah. And the thing is, I, I like those. I go down here to the caravan, and the things I like best are the ones that came in Africa. You said it hadn't changed much. No. It, it didn't seem to me it had. Mm -hmm. You know, the cities have changed because they have skyscrapers and they look mm. like a city anywhere pretty much yeah. but you get out of the city and into the village and mm -hmm. that's very much the same yeah what about the arts have they changed the world well yes you know i thought we'd see a lot of pots but unfortunately you don't see a lot of pots you don't see a lot of decorated calabashes mm -hmm. you know some but not as many everybody carries a purple plastic pail oh <laughs> you know, the women coming home from market wouldn't be carrying a great big basket full of stuff. They'd yeah. be carrying a purple plastic pail. Uh, well, it wasn't the tradition that was in vogue when I was a child, which was minimal. Now they were, you know, swathed in half a dozen different prints. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Um, had you uh, ever had a, a feeling of wanting to go back there? To, to teach a craft as Michael Cardew and, and Harry Davis. Uh, well, it's just like, you know, Michael Cardew finally came through with the idea that he'd probably done the wrong thing. Hmm. And I kind of feel that way. You know, I, yes, I've thought of it. I thought that would be great. But, and it has even been mentioned to me. We met some African teachers once at a reception. This is funny. We met these people at the reception in Dar es Salaam. This teacher was a Yoruba from Nigeria, and I said I was a potter, and he said, oh, you should come to our country and teach our people how to, you know, make really good dishes, pots, and things glazed and all that. Uh, I don't think that's appropriate. They don't have the fuel for mm -hmm. it. It takes a lot of fuel to make this kind of pottery. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the sort of thing that they make, which is very good for the purpose, you know, you make a pot which you can set directly on the flame, mm -hmm. and it's going to stand it, yeah. and it isn't fired very high. It's very appropriate. Mm -hmm. 
So I wasn't too keen on that. Yeah. But there are in a lot of places I visited in Africa, there are people who are teaching the natives how to make high fire stoneware with traditional European mm -hmm. glazes. Mm -hmm. And they, just like English pots. Mm. But I think that Cardew also uh, came to feel that maybe that hadn't been quite exactly mm -hmm. the right thing. I, and, <laughs> you know, there are a lot of people who are making uh, flameware. Yes. So they are making a special body which it can fire up to cone 10 but which will still be so immature that it can stand being put on a flame mm -hmm. what why bother mm -hmm. you can do it in a dung fire yes. at no temperature at all right. <laughs> it seems sort of it's just like the the salt you know, the idea of salt is that you don't have to fire the stuff twice. You put it in, mm -hmm. you eventually throw in some salt, and it uh, glazes. Yeah. But you make the pot, you biscuit, you put some glazes on it, and then you put it in salt kill, you're wasting it. Mm -hmm. well, From my point of view. A lot of potters do that, too. But they used to do it for some special effect. Mm -hmm. and the kids up here are oh, wild to put their salt in the salt kill. Mm -hmm. And it comes out, you can't even tell it's salt. It doesn't yeah. look like salt, it's just a glazed pot. Yeah. Yeah. But they make a big distinction. You know, oh, stoneware. We do stoneware, that's one thing. Salt is another. Mm -hmm. What makes you think they're so different? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. Uh, mm -hmm. You said that you had never worked in porcelain. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder if you could elaborate on that. Why, why is porcelain? I don't like white. White. It was white. Yeah. Not the no. feel of the I've place. done some. You know, I've done some. Mm -hmm. The kids, you know, along the lines, I said anything the kids wanted to do, they could do. Mm -hmm. They want to do porcelain, okay. Mm -hmm. So batch porcelain, they do porcelain. Yeah. And they'd leave some around, so I, I'm, you know, I'm very scotch. Mm -hmm. So I would use it up <laughs> and get wasted. Yeah. And it does some very nice things. For instance, that, that trail creek glaze uh, is very nice on porcelain. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's, you know, it's okay. It's just I don't really like white. I like mm. a dark body. Yeah. yeah. I noticed that, that, that you're a little uncomfortable with the white background, and I, I wonder yeah. if, you know, <laughs> if it doesn't go, go through, <laughs> there's something deeper there. <laughs> Well, in nature, well, okay, we had white this morning, but <laughs> nature white, white, stark staring white is yes. not really very yeah. common. Right, right. When you're using local materials and, and using uh, local sips for glazes and so forth, you can't get white. It's no. impossible. No. I do no. mix some glazes. Yeah. <laughs> I mix glazes. <laughs> Do you have uh, equipment that you can grind? Uh, no, yeah. I'm I'm lazy. I only use things that'll slate down. <laughs> I see. <laughs> well, that's all right uh, because uh, if you have to have equipment and you're using up energy, or gas or whatever, and you might as well let nature do it. Uh, I, I, you know, I I collected the things that would be necessary to make myself a ball mill, but I've always hated the noise of a ball mill. Well, I don't like noisy things, and 
I found that most of these raw materials that I pick up, there will be some parts of them that won't go through a screen, but enough of it goes through a screen so that you have what you need anyway. Yes, so. yes. There's a few other questions that I really wanted to get down. Um, your relationship uh, to your own work and, and to your teaching, have you found a conflict there? Have you always um, struck a good balance or, or have you at times regretted that you had to take off time to teach? Um, <laughs> well, yeah. finally yeah. at the end. <laughs> <laughs> finally at the end, after I had this nice studio and everything, and I thought, oh, you know, why should I go over there? I could be spending my time so much more profitably for me. Mm -hmm. yeah, but... But that was a very late development. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. Never regretted teaching. No, I enjoy. You know, you enjoy it, and you learn so much. You know, you learn so much from the students. Mm -hmm. it, uh, mm -hmm. No, I'll, I'll tell you. Jesse and I both started teaching at the time when teaching was a full-time job. Mm -hmm. And you did it, and anything else you did, you did sort of around the edges. Yeah. And I never, it never bothered me particularly. Because I really, you know, teaching was what I was doing, and yeah. I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. But uh, and it was a big dividend that in the course of teaching, I learned to do a great many other things, mm -hmm. which I enjoyed doing. Yeah. Do you do any teaching now? Well, no, except, I mean, this last three weeks and I've oh, yes. been teaching for yeah. Bill and then, well, let's see, a few years ago I did a workshop up in Alaska. It was fun. Oh, Alaska. Weeks. Yeah. Oh. oh, that was real fun. Yeah. It was at Homer, Alaska, which is the, you know, the banana belt resort <laughs> area of Alaska. It was really a beautiful spot. But I thought, I, I just thought, oh, this is so absurd, all the way, you know how much it costs to get a pound of anything from the yeah, yeah. the lower 48 up to Alaska? When did you do that? And here they were importing Jordan clay and stuff oh, like oh, that, and uh, there was this guy, Alex Combs, who teaches at the University at Anchorage, mm -hmm. and he had a place, a summer place out across the bay from where we were, and we went to visit him, and he'd just gotten through building a beautiful kill on, uh, you know, the Ruth McKinley pattern only bigger. Yes. Mm -hmm. It was just a beautiful thing. But you know, those insulating brick, just shipping them up there cost yeah. a dollar a brick. Oh boy. And, mm. you know, it just, it just seems so appalling. And actually, they have very good clay in Alaska. Yes. Because, you know, there's a lot of coal in Alaska, and mm. the clay goes with it. Yeah. And I, you know, they said beforehand, what would you like to have the students bring, what you want to do, and so forth. And I said, mm. why don't they bring samples of clay for us to check mm. out? And they brought, there was some very good stoneware clays, and oh. a lot of good earthen clays. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, plenty of good slip clays for glazes. Mm -hmm. So they have it there, yeah. Yeah. if they know how to use it. And, of course, I guess they've got plenty of oil right at the moment. Maybe they don't let any of that off the... <laughs> they probably <laughs> don't. <laughs> I said to Alex, how are you going to fire this? 
And he said, well, there's a dead tree and there's a dead tree. And he was in a wooded area. Mm -hmm. I don't know how long those dead trees would last. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, the story is that they turned North China into a desert, firing all those high fire porcelains and mm -hmm. things. Yeah. Uh, I recently had to give that up in Japan, too, because I can't find any more farms. Do you enjoy giving workshops, short-term workshops? Uh, yeah, sort of. Uh, you know, it's a very artificial kind of a thing, but, mm. you know, you can run through your repertoire in yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a few days, and you don't have to yeah. do anything else. Mm -hmm. Of course, these people were working. It wasn't just that I was doing demonstrations. Mm -hmm. so, uh, two weeks isn't very long to do much, but they... Mm -hmm. No, they were all fairly experienced, so they yeah. did pretty well. Yeah. But it, it's sort of fun. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. What do you think of the current and um, in, in workshop giving, where you almost have a super superstar system, where you fly in one big potter, you know, for a day or two, and pay him a thousand dollars, and he fly out again? Um, you said that you felt that, that two weeks was a little bit artificial, but this is, this would be even more so. Well, it's, it is in a way, except that you're you're in a continuing situation, like Don Rides was here a few weeks ago, mm -hmm. for three days. Yeah. And, you know, he just put out so much, mm -hmm. uh, and the kids learned a lot. I think it's very good, because they get exposed to things which they wouldn't otherwise mm -hmm. get. They'd yes. have to go to an awful lot of different schools to get mm -hmm. that. And so I am I am for it. I think uh -huh. it's great. It in some ways it's bad. I know Pete was here a few years ago and uh, you know, he did three days and mm -hmm. everybody had a fine time and so on. After he goes, there are a whole bunch of people that do things which are their interpretation of what he did. A lot of cylinders with holes punched mm -hmm. in them, you know, which mm -hmm. had nothing to do with what Pete was doing. No. The kids were doing it was just a very superficial thing. There were other people who kind of got a feeling for you know, what Pete does with clay and the mm -hmm. way he feels about clay, and it enriched their experience a lot. Yeah. It does for some people, not for mm -hmm. others. Yeah. But it's. I think it's good anyway. Yeah. Uh, I think there can be too much of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, isn't there a little bit of danger that the, the potter who is doing the workshop becomes a bit of an entertainer, in a way? Well, sure. I mean, how could you find a greater exhibitionist than Paul Solder? But, <laughs> but uh, you have any... Look, any teacher is. All teachers are hams. Okay. Okay. You have to attract their attention somehow, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it's just a little more exaggerated, perhaps. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, with Don Wright, he's on all the time anyway. That's, uh, I don't think anybody goes into it unless they have a little bit of that yeah. in their makeup. Yeah. And uh, there's no question about what they really put out a terrific amount of information. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The only thing is, I think it can be overdone. I think you can have so many that the kids don't get any continuity in their work. Mm -hmm. And I, I know, I've sometimes just felt 
miserable because I'd bring this person in and think this is a great thing for the kids and they wouldn't even come. Oh. And then they'd be working later. But I can understand that too because at that stage what's important to them is what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They don't give a hoot no. about what somebody else is doing. Mm -hmm. They want to do their own thing and they're no. missing a lot. Mm -hmm. But they're really involved in doing their, mm -hmm. their thing. They don't care about something else. You seem to have a, a, a Buddhist acceptance of, of things, um, where just about anything is, is fine or is valid. Uh, I was raised a Presbyterian, you know. Presbyterian, yeah. Whatever will be, will yeah, be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me get just a bit of technical information. Uh, on your workshop, you're, you're firing in the, in the Denver gas kill. Mm -hmm. And how large is that? Well, do you count kill sizes by the inside uh, dimensions yeah. or by the stacking, stacking, stacking space? space. Yeah. It reads, you know, they say this is a 12 cubic foot kill. Mm -hmm. It has 20 cubic foot insides. Yeah. And I, being Scotch, do lean you're, out into that a little yeah, bit. I'm, I'm sure you get 20, 20 cubic feet of stopping space on that. <laughs> no, but uh, I, it's hard to tell. I know people say, oh, I have a 30 cubic foot kill, and I'm like, yeah, this is even bigger, even bigger than mine. <laughs> but the Denver Dickin the Dickinson people were very conservative about that. They said, the stacking space mm -hmm. is. And that's an upcharge. Yeah. Do you do a lot of reduction or is it a light reduction? Very light. Light reduction. Yeah. It, it, you prefer it, don't you? Or is it just hard to get in the, in the Denver Well, field? I guess it's because I'm so scotch. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's the point wasting up mm -hmm. because the glazes are, you know, I get effects that I like. I'm not wild about copper reds mm -hmm. or any of those things. Because uh, Bill says you don't really have to have a lot of reduction for that. Just happens happen at the right time, but mm -hmm. uh, the I get effects that I like without running all that extra gas through. Mm -hmm. Where do you do most of your selling? Well, uh, I have come down to the point where there are just about five galleries in the state that I mm -hmm. deal with. I used to sell, you know, Seattle, Portland, Denver, but shipping is so high mm -hmm. and. Actually, I could sell everything I made right here in town sure. if I wanted to, but I am involved with these people. Mm -hmm. Gallery 16 in Great Falls, Gallery 85 in Billings, Tatum House in Helena, uh, the Ketterer here. Mm -hmm. uh, Lily. Lily's Trout Shop in West Yellowstone. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Bud Lily's? Bud Lily's. That's trout wonderful. Shop? Yeah. Yes, the Trout it's Shop. It's a big fishing. The thing about it is the the lilies are our neighbors down here. They live two doors away. And I open the kiln, I say, do you want some pots? And they come down, pick them up, pack them, take them. You know, it's no effort on my part. Mm -hmm. As the interview winds down, Jesse serves up dinner. But Jerry sneaks in one final question as they share a home-cooked meal on handcrafted pots. Thank you. I think you turned it off. No, I'm, I'm, I still have it on. Oh, do you? Yeah. But, but Jessie said that she would eat quietly. You <laughs> <laughs> keep the cat quiet. Beautiful salad. Yeah. 
Would you say that Montana is a good place to be a part of? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's always been just the greatest. Mm -hmm. uh, at least for me, 